Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today on the Deep Dive Monday, we're going to talk about the virus and the Save Our Country Coalition, Trump and Congress reopening America, confinement extends the virus danger, herd immunity, COVID shocking numbers and virus truth. I can't wait to tell you all these stories, folks. And Dems politicking over COVID, Texan Republic, Texas Republican Congressman Crenshaw debunks. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. talk to today's first five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. The coronavirus, of course, continues to just um, fill the airwaves and, and garner the nation's attention as we're trying to deal with moving forward as a country uh, with the coronavirus situation uh, as yet unsolved. I want to talk with you a little bit about where we are big picture in our country in terms of dealing with the virus and in terms of what kinds of leaders in this country are stepping up to try to work on and resolve not just the crisis surrounding the coronavirus and COVID-19, but the larger crisis, the ongoing and dangerous crisis of the attack on America's, uh, just the destruction of America's economy, our culture, our freedoms. So to start with, I was on a conference call this morning uh, with a group um, mostly based in Washington. And I wanna let you know about something that's gonna be coming very soon. Their website is not quite ready, but it will be shortly. It's called the Save Our Country Coalition. And the Save Our Country Coalition, the basic idea is going to be that they're going to have five or six goals and be working, these are big, this is, to, to be clear, I was uh, very um, grateful to be invited to be part of this conversation. I am not on this coalition, but uh, it's a, just leaders of wonderful organizations around this country. And uh, they are talking about the idea we have to deal with this crisis and help America move past it on a variety of fronts. So to start with, uh, let me. Uh, one thing I want to mention, Steve Moore was on the call. In fact, I think he's heading up this coalition. Steve Moore was on the show two weeks ago, I think. He's a, a renowned national, uh, nationally. He's an economist. He was the author or at least co-author of President Trump's economic plan, uh, a big um, voice out of Washington, the Wall Street Journal, and uh, the Heritage Foundation. And he talked about, you know, in the next six to 10 weeks, it is going to be a crucial, crucial time for America to get on top of this virus, not just to stop the spread, which we appear to be doing. We appear to be you know, flattening the curve and coming back down. But more importantly, get on top of all of the ways this virus has attacked and harmed our country. So the mission of this coalition, again, as soon as I get the website, as soon as it's up, I'll tell you about it. I urge you to go to it to help you and everyone else in America think in bigger terms about what we're facing. So the missions include conquer the virus, of course, is number one. One thing Steve Moore said, though, in connection with conquering the virus is, because we have shut down the economy, we are at economic standstill in this country. He said we have something like six to 10 weeks at the very outside to get our economy moving before we get to a point of extreme danger and with respect to our ability to bring back the American economy for a very long time. So it is conquer the virus, revive the economy, 
restore constitutional limits on government's orders. And, you know, we've been talking about those kind of things, but restore constitutional limits, especially on the orders from governors, mayors, uh, lower level, not the federal level, but the state and local level. Uh, also, regain control of federal spending. One great point was discussed on this call was the idea that the um, at the in, at the time President Obama came into office, we had a crisis. We had the economic crisis, and the budget for at, in Congress because of that crisis, because of so many people concerned about what happened to the economy in 2008, we had a massive, massive budget increase in Washington. I believe the number was spending up by 50 percent in 2009 to deal with the crisis that we had in 2008. But as uh, all Democrats reliably will do, increased spending for, to deal with the crisis at that time became the floor, became the basic assumption that we're gonna move forward with future budgets based on this one. We're not going to acknowledge that we had a very high budget one year to deal with the problem, but then we're gonna come back down. The point in the call today was we can't do that again. We can't do with this budget, with the $2.2 trillion bill we just had. We had other spending bills. Before that, we have more coming out of Congress. We cannot look at the spending we're engaging in right now to deal with the coronavirus crisis and decide this is going to be the base or the floor moving forward. We have to rein it in very quickly. Also talk about the notion of restoring federalism. We have to really be clear the states, what the role they have in our, in our constitutional structure versus what the federal government has. We have to have reliance on the states to move forward in policies dealing with the coronavirus. And the last thing, and the one thing I wanna focus on today a little bit more in this first five is this. They talked about the idea, the, the important idea of reducing panic and fear. We have to actually treat as a national goal, leaders of all kinds and people like you, my listeners, people like myself doing shows like this. We have to have an actual a targeted agenda to reduce panic and fear. It is rampant in this country. We need to push out the good news about coronavirus because the media will always ignore it. It never will report it. There is a, in addition to the coronavirus, there's a physical and cultural virus of fear in this country and the left is spreading it, the media is spreading it, and they benefit from the fear in the hearts and minds of the American people. So you had, it was, it was just a great conversation. This, this new entity is gonna be coming about, Save Our Country Coalition. I also wanna mention, I mentioned it once a couple weeks ago, but the Heritage Foundations also stepped right up. Heritage Foundation has a National Coronavirus Recovery Commission, and they have, they have gathered together experts of, of various kinds to come up with policy proposals. How are we going to get not just through this crisis, but past this crisis, get America back, bring America back. I asked Matt the Wonderful to, uh, there was a great meme I saw today. I wanna show it to you and then talk with you why I think it's so important, but it's, it's just a little meme someone made up about the kind of uh, concentric circles of, of how people are thinking about during this crisis. And as you can see, the caption says, believe it or not, it's okay to be all three. People take the coronavirus seriously and people are very concerned about the impending economic devastation, and people are worried about the expansion of authoritarian government policies. And most of us, you see the me in the middle, this was sent, the meme was sent to me, and but I think it reflects the thinking of millions and millions and millions of Americans. People can be deeply concerned about the virus and wanna make sure we're doing everything we can to help those who are suffering, 
to make sure that our first responders, hospitals, doctors have all the equipment they need. And we want to be sure that we understand the economic devastation to America is the impending disaster is almost impossible to understand and appreciate. <clears throat> People think, and so this mindset that says, well, we'll get through the virus. And then after the virus is solved, then we'll figure out our economic, how to get ec economically back. We can't do that, folks. We don't have time. We don't have time to say until the virus is all gone, the virus will be here. As Dr. Fauci has let us know, it may be seasonal year after year. They're talking 12 to 18 months at the at the earliest to develop a vaccine. The vaccine, the, the virus is already mutating. We're going to have another resurgence of the virus. Some people say in May, some say in the middle of summer, some say in the fall, whatever it is, we cannot wait to fix the economy until the virus is all gone. And we also have to be aware in our country for the very first time in American history, we've had an astonishing expansion of local government authoritarian conduct, simply mind-blowing in terms of what we normally permit and expect the federal government to do and the state governments to do, local governments to do. We have surrendered an enormous amount of freedom in just these last several weeks dealing with this virus and the crisis. And that, my friends, is today's First Five. Next thing I want to talk about today, and first of all, I have to tell you that by the time Monday comes around, I can hardly wait till the show starts. I feel like there are just so many things. I, I love talking with you, my listeners. I love when you email me. People email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. I try to reply, um, and people also comment on YouTube and Facebook and other places. And so I, and, and you know, I, I sometimes find emails. I did a little bit of email clean out over the weekend and found some emails from listeners from last November. You know what? I'm doing the best I can, but I love hearing from you. I love talking talking with you about this precious, extraordinary country, this experiment in human liberty that is America. Okay, in this next segment, I want to talk about Trump and the Congress trying, trying to reopen America. To be really clear, that I mentioned that Steve Moore was talking about federalism this morning, and the basic thing is that the idea of getting guidelines from Washington, which is how we've been going through this crisis, we have Dr. Fauci, Dr. Birx, others giving information, the president and his team, the vice president and his group, his group working on this, they come up with guidelines, but the actual implementing of the standards, the issues, the concerns that the federal government puts in the guidelines really falls onto the states. That's the entire point of our federalist system. The states have the primary power to deal with this crisis and to deal with the policies moving forward to get us out of it. So President Trump issued guidelines. You, I'm going to guess all of you listening to my show are very tuned into news and already know this, but the president issued guidelines to reopen the economy. Um, and it was the idea that, you know, they're kind of big standards guided by the wisdom of uh, the input from Dr. Fauci, Drs. Fauci and Burks. But, you know, how do we move this forward? When is it okay to reopen the economy? What are the criteria we have to um, look for so we know we're ready to take the next step in reopening the economy? Um, I'm not going to read the president's um, all the he put three phases into his plan, but I will have it up later today on our website. I don't have the links up for today's show. I'll have to put those up tonight. But there's a great summary of them that I will put a link on our website, AmericaCanWeTalk.org. You can read the president's guidelines telling the states, here's how we're going to move forward. He also very clearly said, because he understands federalism, that this is the job of the states to put these uh, guidelines into action. You know, the governors and their officials need to move forward with the guidelines. In addition, out of Washington, people trying to deal with this crisis um, that we are facing is that there was 
people called it a, a, a bipartisan breakthrough. I'm not sure I'm going to give it that much credit yet, but at least there were 50 members of the U.S. Congress, half Democrat, half Republican, who came up with some guidelines or ideas about ways to reopen America. The thing is happening at the highest levels on the American left, which I, by that I mean Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, the Democrat Party, all they can think about. And we'll talk about this more later and tomorrow. All they can think about is how can they exploit this crisis to push their agenda. It is all that is on the mind of Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and the American, the leaders of the American left. However, there were some members of the U.S. Congress, Democrat and Republican, came up with a, a kind of an idea, list of ideas. Here's how we can move forward to get people back to work. So just a few of these items. Just the symbolism of this is good. I mean, I, I think that the Democrat Party and the Republican Party have their, their agendas and their, you know, their platforms are miles apart, worlds apart. So it's hard often to come to agreement. But at least you see some people in Congress recognizing we cannot go forward with reopening America when you have most of what comes out of the, the Democrat leadership is just taking shots at President Trump. And so, of course, you know, there's not going to be a lot of uh, working together because all they do is spend their time trying to shoot them down. But but this was a great thing. I, want, I mean, at least it has the seeds or the potential to be a great thing. They talk about uh, they talk about having a it isn't just, you know, monetary or directions precisely to the state, but it's talking about things that are needed, things like a supply chain for personal protective gear. That needs to be ramped up for workers in all essential sectors, from from food services to schools. It talks about uh, K through 12 children and teachers having access to masks to return to school. Not that we have to agree they're always going to wear masks to school for the rest of their lives, but getting ready to get us back into um, and, and really putting emphasis in this plan on the idea the schools have to open again. They also talk about new supply chains for manufactured goods, including pharmaceuticals and medical supplies. We've been talking about this on this show, I don't know how many times that we cannot any longer rely on medical supplies of any kind manufactured in China, uh, given what we now know China, um, both how they handled the coronavirus outbreak and in addition, how they have a very long-term mission of being the predominant world power. We need to end our dependency on China. So they have that in there. They talk about more business help, expanding low interest loans and tax incentives to businesses that, so they can reopen, uh, nationwide help for mortgage and rent payments. Um, they also talk about real-time reporting mechanisms to share data on hospital capacity. It really signals, I want to tell you about that, it signals uh, President Trump is kind of setting the guidelines to, okay, states, let's rock and roll. Members of Congress are trying to help by getting out there and um, and laying out some steps that have to happen in order for us to have this return and the reopening of our economy. Um, two other quick things I want to hit in this segment. Um, one is that the governors, we're going to talk about, we have a Lieutenant Colonel Alan West joining us tomorrow. We're going to talk with him more about this, but to plant the seed, the impetus now is on the governors to look at the situation on the ground in their states, to assess the situation on the ground, figure out where they're going to, uh, how can they reopen, what's the sequence they can have, they can manage in their various states. Um, and so you have governors who are very much, um, they are driven by their political alliances, the political party that they stand, they stand with, they represent, um, but they all have the mission of getting their states reopened. And the difference in how they've reacted 
how they plan to move forward is staggering. And so we'll talk about that more. But the states are now recognizing it's our job to get on top of this. Last thing I wanted to mention, I just was just very happy to see this. And I, I'll kind of close this segment by saying, in addition to all the plans that the president's putting out and that the members of Congress are, that the two groups I mentioned in the first five today, you know, the Heritage Group and the you know, Bring Save America Coalition Group, there are also groups and President Trump talking about the idea, how do we, what's our plan to end social distancing? And I know some people, this is a very personal thing, I know some of my friends, they may practice social distancing for the rest of their lives. You know, they may. They, they are very germophobic anyway. I mean, I'm not saying all my friends, but a few people I know, pretty germophobic, don't really like ever, you know, they're, they're, they're pretty cautious about those things. They may always, as a response to the coronavirus, say, you know, um, I just as soon not come over to your house for dinner. Or can't we just talk on the phone? Um, you know, let's go ahead and um, meet by Skype. There'll be people like that, and it's okay. People can handle this and move forward however they want. But the cultural impact on the, the closeness, the connection that American people are used to feeling with each other, the idea that you have friends for dinner, we're big on that, you know, just having dinner with friends, great way to talk. We, we're, it's a great way. My husband and I love doing this with our friends. And this is a cultural thing in this country. We get together. We care about each other. We have, we have big social gatherings. We have in the fall. I mean, it is a huge thing every year when the NFL season comes back and people have football parties and they go to football games in person. They have, they go to basketball or we're, we have a big basketball family too. So basketball games and watching games and going to games, all of these things are going to be newly looked at in this post-coronavirus world. And I don't mean the virus will be gone, but this the getting through this first initial reaction we had as a country and saying, okay, you know, we're past the crisis point. We're not through this, but crisis point, how do we get back to acting like people? How do we get back to hugging our friends? How do we get back to shaking hands? Do we just say forever and a day, we'll never do it again? So I like that the president's been talking about this, the idea we have to have a plan too for ending social distancing. Other groups in Washington have put forth plans, uh, like the American Enterprise Institute um, has one out there. They're moderately right-leaning, just barely right-leaning, but they, they have one out. Uh, the very left-leaning Center for American Progress has one. Uh, another one, Paul Romer wrote one. Uh, he's a Nobel Prize-winning economist. Uh, Harvard put out one, a, 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 the um, Center for Ethics, the uh, Edward J. Safra Center for Ethics put out a one about white papers about how to get back. The point is we have to be thinking, and this is what I'll close this segment with. We have to get through this problem we have to take care of our sick. We have to provide for our precious healthcare providers, our doctors and nurses and ambulance drivers and everyone involved in healthcare. But we have to be thinking of America becoming America again. We have to be thinking of America going back to being America. We're gonna emerge from this and we're going to be a better, stronger country. But it takes each of us embracing that idea agreeing with ourselves, we're going to move forward, we're going to reopen economies, we're going to get people back to work, we're going to adjust things we have to adjust, our supply chains and, and other things may change in America. The rules we have about who can board airplanes from foreign countries and what they have to do if they come here, if we're not sure about how, what kind of health problems they are bringing here. 
but the American, the precious good American culture must come back. Plan on it, be optimistic, be part of the effort to try to bring it back. Next topic I want to hit today. You know, it's amazing. Uh, I always think of more topics than time. I tell you that a lot, too. If you listen to the show all the time, I'm always saying that. But I want to talk a little bit about something that I I understood better about um, this idea of herd immunity. So I heard this Dr. Katz. You've been hearing about Dr. Katz. I mentioned him. He's the one early on in this American response to the coronavirus who wrote a lengthy piece, an editorial at the New York Times in which he essentially said he's a Yale doctor. He is a a, specialist in in contagious diseases and immune system. He he guessed his whole arena of thought that we're all focused on. And very early on, he wrote uh, and published and has been speaking about the idea that from the start, when we recognize this virus was very challenging, and it is very challenging, we should have gone with his term, vertical interdiction. We should have shaped our policies around the idea of protecting the vulnerable and susceptible, you know, the elderly, those with immune deficiencies or other problems, pre-existing health problems that make them vulnerable to the coronavirus. We should have protected them and allow the rest of America, the healthy, and those who want to work, we should have let them continue functioning in daily life. He calls that vertical interdiction, put a silo around the susceptible, as opposed to horizontal interdiction, which is making policy that limits and directs the behavior of every single American as we are now, what we are now living, which is pretty much everyone except for a few states are living in forced shutdowns of their state. Everyone's in a shelter in place, can't go out, order, can't go to work, can't open your business. So I heard Dr. Katz speak last night. He was actually interviewed. And I'll tell you, folks, it's so funny. I never watch television. I mean, never. I turned on, I forget what I was looking for. But anyway, uh, I saw Dr. Katz was on Mark Levin's show. And so I don't have a recording of it. And I urge you, if you can, to go play that show. Mark Levin had Dr. Katz on, the same guy who's talking about vertical introduction. Introduction. And he was explaining things I want to explain to you because I think it's really uh, important to understand how the policy we chose that was, you know, dictated essentially the social distancing, uh, every, which means everybody has social distancing requires everybody has to be home. You can't be in a place where a bunch of people are together. So social distancing, all the, the hand washing, of course, is fine, but the hand washing masks and all that. Leave that aside. But the social distancing thing. The reason we did that was because that was what Drs. Fauci and Burks and probably others told the president was the best plan. What Katz has been saying is, no, that wasn't the best plan. But what I heard him explain last night, I want to tell you. He essentially is talking about the idea that, you know, we have viruses. You know, we the world is filled with viruses. I looked up the numbers on um, several websites. And I, I didn't bring them with me today. I'll, I'll get to them another day. But, you know, there are there are hundreds of thousands of viruses. It's not like, you know, there's, it's a rare thing we get new viruses. New viruses are discovered all the time. And in normal, normal path of the way cultures deal with viruses is that when healthy people go out in the world, do their daily life, they come in contact with a virus. So they have gotten infected by the virus, their body responds, and fights off the virus and creates antibodies. Once you have contracted coronavirus, you get through it, and then you're back to healthy, you have antibodies, which are essentially, they are like you are, like you got a vaccination, like in, like you are immune from the virus. 
due to the own antibodies you carry. What he explained to Mark Levin last night was normally how we have been able, not just America, but societies through history have been able to overcome viruses is because we have a significant number of people getting out in the world even the, and, and we do every day, of course, before coronavirus came along, everyone was living their life and doing their thing, do whatever they do, and, and encountering viruses. So ultimately, when a significant percentage of people have come in contact with a new virus and had it, you know, worked through it, had their system fight it off, their system develop antibodies, those people can no longer become infected and can no longer spread the virus. So the example uh, Dr. Katz gave on Mark Levin show was, look, you know, if Mark Levin was a uh, someone who was susceptible to the virus and, and, you know, was in some category of concern and he, Dr. Katz, had had the virus, got through it, had the antibodies, he could shake Mark Levin's hand and he would not transmit the virus. That's what Katz was explaining. So the more Americans who get out and he said, basically, in plain English, we need more people to get out, come in contact with the virus, in contact with the virus, get over it, and develop antibodies. So we have herd, H-E-R-D, like you know, a herd of cattle, but in, in America, a herd of people in our country who have overcome it. We're then reducing the more people who are have herd immunity, who have the antibodies, so they're they are immune. They the more people are like that the fewer people there are who can infect the vulnerable. The vulnerable are more protected in a culture where most people have developed immunity. A couple of things he said, it was the most fascinating interview. And, you know, I'm not a medical person or a doctor or anything. I'm just telling you that I learned so much. I want to, if you get a chance to listen to it, he had a couple other really great points I want to share with you. One was that you know, they've been talking about testing, and that was, I meant to mention earlier, the, the congressional bipartisan thing, the big issue they pushed was testing. And so they're basically saying we've got to really move forward and test more Americans because everyone's been saying we don't know the denominator. We don't know how many people have actually encountered the virus. So, you know, as a very simple thing, if you had, if you tested 10 people and all 10 people had the virus, you would say, wow, there's a 100% infection rate. But if you had 10 people have the virus, but you, you know, you check 2000 and you still only have 10 people, then it's only 10 out of 2000. The denominator of uninfected people changes the infection rate. Same thing applies with respect to the fatality rate. So he's saying you don't, CDC does not have to test every American, just like in polling. When you hear polls and say, you know, 34% of Americans think X, well, they didn't really ask every American. They use the concept of representative um, sample. They go around representative sample. You know, we're going to pick, you know, X percentage of, you know, Democrats or Republicans or women or men or whatever the criteria are. And that's how they get a representative sample. Well, Katz is saying the CDC uses representative random sampling, meaning they already have in place a process they use other times to gather data. So they don't really have to test every American or even a majority of Americans. They can do the same kind of thing as polling and select a representative random sample and that that is not a lengthy process. And that is what they should be doing. That was his first point. He also talked about as we get past the coronavirus in this country, you know, we have to be honest about the fact that CDC encouraged doctors to list coronavirus as a cause of death in cases where it wasn't. If you missed that, we've had that story before in the show, but the CDC put out advice to doctors and hospitals 
that they could put coronavirus as the cause of death, even when they don't know, but they're just guessing. They, they, they think it was the cause of death, but they don't know because they didn't ever test the person. And even though the person may have had a series of underlying health claims, which also could have led to morbidity, led, led to their death, but they, in addition to diabetes, heart disease, and obesity, you know, they contracted the virus. Well, you know, all those other conditions contributed to and maybe were the primary contributor to the death. But CDC says, no, 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 count them as coronavirus death. So we have, we have, we have a larger number of deaths being reported than is really honest. But his point about it was, we ought to as a country, it, this virus is calling attention to the fact that in our country, we've had all sorts of morbidity vulnerability in diseases where we don't pay that much attention. We just don't worry that much. And we know there are people who are obese, who have diabetes, who have heart disease, many of these things being preventable with better healthcare. And these things are now leading to death. He's saying one thing we ought to learn is let's get after those causes of death as a country. And so we aren't so vulnerable to a virus another time. He did say what makes coronavirus unique is that the intensity of care required for the people who have the extremely bad reactions to coronavirus is uh, is very is uniquely high. That you know, if you if you become very sick with coronavirus, which most people don't. Again, Ben Carson says 98% of people survive. You know, uh, something in the range of 80% don't even know they have it. But for the people who have the really bad reactions, it, it requires uniquely high intensive care. Um, he said, so he's basically saying uh, no one size uh, fits all answer for the states. They've all got get their own situation. I want to pass that along to you because I think that the herd immunity and other factors that Dr. Katz went through can help all of us be smarter in how we think about coronavirus, how we, how we assess how we're doing as a country dealing with it. And again, I urge you, if you have the time and you can find it, to go listen to the whole interview. It was, it was very informative and very substantive, very serious, very, very impressive. And that, again, was Dr. Katz on Mark Levin's show. Okay, two of the things I want to try to hit today. Um, one thing I wanted to mention, I, um, I use the expression COVID shocking numbers and virus truth. We have talked about, well, I just mentioned a moment ago, how you have, you know, the CDC told doctors to fabricate the, by escalating, exaggerating falsely the number of deaths that were due to the coronavirus. This is unheard of. You know, we don't usually do this. You don't have CDC trying to, to, to direct doctors to elevate the numbers to make a particular disease sound scarier than it is. It's a truly egregious thing. But among the other things of numbers that, that are just uh, astonishing in trying to understand this virus, understand how we deal with it, in addition to doing what, as I just mentioned a moment ago, you had Dr. Katz recommending, which was representative random sampling, get, get more testing done in a, in, a, in a strategic way so we have better numbers. But I just want to tell you a few other just amazing things about coronavirus and the numbers in America. Number one. And this will be on our website later. I urge you to read it yourself because I can't, I mean, I can't read a whole long article, but it's full of good data to understand. It'll be up later today at our website, americacanwetalk.org. But in, you know, we obviously have a, a gigantic hotspot of problem with coronavirus in New York City. Gigantic. So one guy did a study of the numbers of, he used the expression downstate New York. 
you know, he, he counted just as the counties in downstate New York. So not, you know, not Western New York out by Buffalo, not a way upstate New York where I grew up, but New York City um, and the uh, community is very, very close to New York City. He took their numbers uh, of coronavirus deaths and separated them out from the rest of America. It's mind blowing. If you take the, the infection rate and the death rate from coronavirus based in New York City and their healthcare system, if you take them out of US numbers overall, we don't even make the chart. We're, we are a blip in the radar of the threat of coronavirus in this world. Getting the point, getting to the point, it's obviously a huge hotspot, but the rest of the country doesn't have anything like the problem that New York City has and anything like the infection rate or the fatality rate. So he, this guy, uh, chose these counties that are they're really close to New York City, chose Kings, Queens, New York, Suffolk, Bronx, and Nassau, Westchester, and Richmond counties. Those counties together have a total population of over 12 million people, bigger than a lot of countries in the world. Um, so 12 million people in those, just those counties in New York. And then he made the comparison, just looking at how you rank America compared to other countries in the world, other in, in the top 10 of how you rank America in terms of confirmed cases. This is not deaths, just confirmed cases, infection rate uh, per million. What is it to get at? Because, you know, you have so many, everyone in the left claiming that America handled it terribly and Trump blew everything and he's awful, he's terrible, you know, we, and this is, accounts for our, our situation here. Let me just tell you these numbers. The, you know, the left has spent so much time attacking Trump instead of solving the problem. It's truly despicable. We'll get to that in a moment. But I want on these shocking numbers just to tell you a little change. So in New York, taking us out those counties, taking all numbers in the United States of America, ranking America in deaths, excuse me, in cases of infection per million. Cases of infection per capita per million, United States ranks seventh out of 10. I mean, one being the highest, the most infections um, per, um, you know, per million, and the bottom being number 10, United States ranks seventh. So, you know, that's, we, you know, we're a big country, but still that's, that's sad. And, and you know, we, it's, we have a great healthcare system here. You'd like to think we would do better, I guess. But when you take out, when you take out those New York counties I mentioned, and then you just put the rest of the mirror, if you, I'm sorry, let me, let me change that and do it the other way, how he did it. He said, here's what happens if you do the top 10, if you treat downstate New York as though it was its own country. So if you put downstate New York, those counties, as though they, they, were, own, they were their own country, and then go back to the top 10, downstate New York ranks number one in the world. In the world. More infection rates in New York City per million than any other country in the world. New York is a hotspot of this horrible problem. I am not denouncing New York. I love New York. I grew up in New York State. I, I have family and friends who live in the city. I love, I love visiting there. I'm not knocking New York. I'm saying our hotspot problem in America is in the, is in the New York area by a landslide. So again, that, that idea, if you take downstate New York and treat that as if it were its own country, and so you look at just its infection rate per million, 
Number one, highest infection rate per million. In fact, the number is so astronomically larger than, than the next one down. Downstate New York, 16,200 cases per one million. Next one, Spain, 4,000. 100 per million. Same thing if you take death rates. And I, you know, I just, I urge you to read this article and I, I make these points not to pick on New York, but to say much of what has driven the fear around the country, much of what has driven the draconian policies that the government officials are engaging in all this country is watching New York City. New York City is a unique and, and, and horrific, you know, hotspot of this unbelievably terrible virus. But it is not as though uh, all of America has anything like the experience of New York City. This is why we have to go back to federalism, let each state deal with this problem on its own rather than having one size fits all policy. Also wanted to mention, I don't know if I mentioned this last week on the show, and I do want to get to playing a clip for you in just a moment, but on these kind of shocking numbers. So number one, recognize if downstate New York were its own country, America would be doing swimmingly in terms of our infection rate and death rate from coronavirus. The numbers that are really hurting us in, uh, the, in America um, are coming from New York City. So it's driving our you know, rating in this world. Another one was Stanford did a study in Santa Clara County, which is nearby. So Stanford did a, a, a study in, um, in Santa Clara County in which they basically got people to come in and get tested. People who are perfectly healthy show up. They're, they're trying to get at the beginnings of an assessment of how many people have the coronavirus, had the coronavirus, have the antibodies or have the infection versus how many people don't. The most amazing thing was, and, and again, this study is on our website, americacanwetalk.org. It'll be up later today. They found that between, that the estimated infection rate in America was inaccurate, that actually somewhere between 50 and 85 times the number of Americans had come in contact with the coronavirus and had developed antibodies than previously thought. And this is good news statistically. It means a lot of things. It means the virus got here earlier than we thought because it means these people you know, survived it. Uh, most of them didn't even go to the doctor. They, they just got through it like a bad cold, a virus. They developed the antibodies and it means our denominator is changing. So that was one thing. Stanford study, there was a similar one in Massachusetts um, and that was uh, in one particular area of Massachusetts. And their finding was that they found 32% of people who just randomly said, okay, I'll do this study. You can, you know, I guess it was a blood sample, you know, see uh, where I am in my coronavirus test. 32% had, were already carrying the antibodies, already had had coronavirus and gotten over it. So these are good numbers, meaning we, we can maybe calm ourselves down a little bit. Last thing on numbers before I turn to the uh, last little pitch I want to give you about how politically the, the left is behaving and who's really doing a great job defending uh, the truth. But the last one is there is a professor in Israel um, who did a study, an Israeli professor. This is so astonishing in terms of developing our response to the coronavirus. A professor in Israel took data from a bunch of countries, and it was Sweden, Italy, Israel, Switzerland, France, Germany, Spain, US, and UK. And so those countries had varying, various different policies they chose, 
in how to deal with coronavirus, various different policies that were, you know, telling them, uh, so how they told the people in their country to deal with the coronavirus. Israel, for example, has an even more harsh shutdown than America has. Israel's just closed down. America, you know, we all know where we are. We had a variety of choices and policies different countries made. The most astonishing finding of this guy, this Israeli professor named Yitzhak Ben Israel of the Tel Aviv University, very renowned university, was that irrespective of whether the country quarantined like Israel or went about business as usual like Sweden, the coronavirus peaked and subsided in the exact same way. That's an astonishing finding. Just think about that. Again, it'll be up on our website later. But the all the measures we took, the virus peaked and then subsided. And the, the study you're showing, by the way, the virus subsides very quickly. We, we, we get to the peak and then we have to deal with it, but the virus subsides and we're at that subsiding point. Now, I know they can have round two, we can have mutation two, we have another virus. But this guy was kind of saying didn't really make that much difference. So the argument, somebody making, so so why do we shut ourselves down? Why exactly do you remind me again? Okay, but that's enough uh, on that topic. I just want to, there's so much to understand about this virus. And I try to share stories with you about the virus that help us all to see, number one, we can take a deep breath. We do have a challenging problem. We do have to take care of our sick. We do have to provide our hospitals and healthcare workers with everything they need. We have to learn lessons about our supply chain. But America can come back. America is strong. America come back, can come back. And that we have had in this first, whatever, whenever you count the starting point, you know, eight, 10 weeks of dealing with this now, wherever you count the starting point, we've had some time, learned some lessons, and we have to be open to adjusting our policies to deal with what we now know as the facts on the ground. Uh, last topic, hit very quickly today, and I really just want to, um, I, I used the expression, the, the um, you know, Dems politic over COVID. I cannot express strongly enough in words how deeply troubling and obnoxious and just you know, uncaring, unconcerned, the reaction of the leftists in this country has been to the coronavirus. I mean, from the time that we had to have emergency funding because people were struggling because all the businesses were shut down and the Democrats are throwing in every conceivable item they could think of, the agenda, legislative agenda item they had ever wanted because they thought they had America and the Republicans over a barrel and so they can get what they want. So they're trying to change you know, mail-in ballots and voting procedures and money for the Kennedy Center and money for all sort of, sorts of pet projects the left always supports. You cannot excuse that conduct or that behavior as, well, you know, that's politics. No. This is allegedly a crisis time, and all you have is the left pushing their usual agenda. You had, for example, uh, Nancy Pelosi is pushing, we're going to talk to Alan West about this tomorrow, um, but Nancy Pelosi is pushing this idea of a blue state bailout. She wants to change federal tax policy to benefit the blue states as part of responding to the coronavirus. You have the uh, a Democrat senator from Connecticut, I think it is, uh, U.S. Senator Chris Murray, who put out this statement. Just listen to this. The reason that we're in the crisis that we're in today is not because of anything that China did. Just pause there. Not the, not the fault of anything that China did 
is not because of anything China did, is not because of anything the World Health Organization did. It is because of what President Trump did. That was a, this is, the virus came from China. Everyone who's got a pulse knows that. But this guy is putting out a statement like that, which gets us around to tell. And, and then, of course, you have Eric Holder, uh, you know, a formal, formally, formerly uh, the Depart- the U.S. Attorney, the, um, Attorney General, putting out a statement that this is a great opportunity to get control of the voting procedures and push through all of the left wing designed to enable Democrats to cheat changes to election law because we have America over a barrel. This is what the Democrats do. They're opportunistically destructive of America, determined to get their agenda through. So the result of Chris Murphy, by the way, putting that tweet out, uh, U.S. Senator Chris Murphy, was that they did a poll, uh, Rasmussen did a poll, and ask people, how many of you believe this? Ask the question, how many of you believe that the um, that the, the statement, that the problem we have in America with the coronavirus is actually President Trump's fault? No, no fault, China has no fault, World Health Organization has no fault. And 60% of Democrats polled said Chris, that this uh, Senator Chris Murphy was right. Fortunately, uh, Republicans and independents both rolled their eyes and said, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, but this is how, when I say leftists politic this issue, do not let them delude you into thinking that they actually care, pretend that they care. They care only about their agenda. Even in a crisis, only thing they care about is destroying President Trump and pushing their radical left agenda onto America. To wrap up for today, I want to play, there's a brilliant tweet put out by Texas Republican Congressman Dan Crenshaw responding to this cascade of assault on President Trump. This is what, uh, this is uh, Texas Republican Congressman uh, Crenshaw responding to the left's attack on Trump about the coronavirus. Here he is. You need to hear this because you're being bombarded right now with these really over the top accusations against the president that he's got blood on his hands, that his denial and delay has cost lives and that basically he took no action until it was too late. The question is, is any of this true? Let's start back in January. January 15th, the first patient with coronavirus enters the United States from Wuhan. That was also the same day that these impeachment pens were being handed out. But luckily, the administration was on top of it. A couple of days later, January 17th, they were already implementing screenings at San Francisco, Los Angeles, and New York airports for flights coming in from Wuhan. But still, even about a week later, our mainstream media was still promoting things like this. Doctors saying, hey, this isn't a big deal, not much more dangerous than the flu. Nevertheless, President Trump did implement that travel restriction on January 31st, even though things like the World Health Organization were saying no need to limit trade and movement. And they largely criticized President Trump's travel restrictions. Same day, January 31st, that Nancy Pelosi proposed the No Ban Act which would actually stop President Trump from implementing the life-saving travel restrictions that he did implement. So was everybody else really sounding the alarm at this point in time? No, of course not. Headlines like these were being written, and constantly, and by mainstream outlets. Again, I don't blame them. These are the facts they had at the time. Adam Schiff, the uh, chairman of the Intelligence Committee, was getting regular updates in that committee, but he didn't even publicly talk about coronavirus until February 25th. And let's not forget that President Trump did talk about the coronavirus in the State of the Union on February 4th. What happened to that State of the Union? 
that happened. So fast forward a couple of weeks when the president actually asked Congress for supplemental funding to combat the virus, two and a half billion dollars. What did Nancy Pelosi do? Instead of putting that money on the House floor to be voted on, she put a bill to ban flavored tobacco. That was the priority of the Speaker of the House. You also hear a lot of criticism for Trump being overly optimistic. But this is what Nancy Pelosi was saying in late February, telling people to go out and enjoy themselves for the Chinese New Year. Come to Chinatown. Here we are. Same with Bill de Blasio in New York City. I want to be clear, I'm not blaming them either. We all have the same set of facts. Even around the world, places like Italy and Spain and Iran, their cases didn't start to spike until early March. And even they didn't lock down. Italy didn't lock down until March 10th. Spain didn't lock down until March 14th. Iran, not until April 4th. Places like Sweden didn't lock down at all. As these countries locked down, were we just doing nothing? No, of course not. President Trump implemented travel restrictions from Europe on March 12th. And what did the media say? All of that, all of that. Widespread criticism. How could you do this? What's the point of this? Well. Does this really sound like an administration that's in denial about this? Of course not. And a few days later, we implemented our own 15 days to slow the spread, which then turned into 30 more days. Okay, fine, say the critics, but what about the PPE? We were well behind. We should have had more in the national stockpile. Yeah, that's true. But USA Today did a fact check on this. As it turns out, most of our stockpile was depleted after the H1N1 virus, okay? And the Obama administration never replenished it. That's the truth. Am I blaming them? No, not really. They don't have a crystal ball. What about the testing? We were behind on that. And that's President Trump's fault, right? Well, no, not so simple. Early on, the CDC started to develop a test, but China refused to give them actual samples of the virus. So it was harder to make a test. And also, they didn't do a great job of it. Also, long-standing FDA regulations prevented our private industry from actually developing tests. The Trump administration reversed those regulations that had been around well over a decade. This is the main point here. If we're gonna look back in time and try to suggest that our government should have shut everything down back in February, well, where is the evidence for that? We were really gonna shut things down when our cases hadn't really started to increase? When it barely started to increase in places like Italy or Iran? Of course not, they didn't shut things down until way later. Do you really think that we should have lost tens of millions more of jobs and livelihoods based on almost no evidence at the time? Is that really a reasonable expectation? Is that really a reasonable accusation? No, I don't think so. Listen, I don't wanna blame Democrats for this at all. I don't think we should. I don't think there's a lot of people to blame for this, except for China, of course. It would be time for all of us to give each other a little bit of grace and understand that at the local, state, and federal level, everybody is doing their best to fight the pandemic. And we're gonna to need to stop the dishonest finger pointing as we move into the next phase where we figure out how to reopen our economy and fight the pandemic alongside that. Thanks for listening. And that, my friends, I'm so proud to say is a Texas Congressman Dan Crenshaw would close the show today, as I do every day, by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. Our first story for today, we talked about virus and the Save Our Country Coalition. 
We had Steve Moore on the show recently. Um, he leads a new Save Our Country coalition added to the Heritage Foundation's National Coronavirus Recovery Commission and to Kevin Freeman's Economic War Room Reopening Plan. I'll share that with you another day. Um, patriots are stepping up all over America. Reopening is an American imperative. Make America well again. We can do two things at once. Care for the ill and protect the vulnerable at the same time. Reactivate the economy for the health and well-being of all. As to President Trump and Congress reopening America, President Trump is leading as he should, providing reopening guidelines, establishing bipartisan commissions, trusting federalism, 50 individual states with individual circumstances, testing advances possible through representative random sampling, similar to polling per Yale's Dr. Katz, assuaging the fearful in the face of the mainstream media hysterical finger... Fear-mongering, excuse me, um, is tougher. America's media is the biggest disgrace in the pandemic of 2020. And the confinement, extending the danger and blocking herd immunity, I just can't tell you how much I hope we all understand that and see what's happened there. Listen to Dr. Katz's recent interview with Mark Levin. Herd immunity is not a new concept in in virology, and the study of infectious diseases is not a theory but it's a known documented phenomenon, which essentially says the best remedy for most viruses is for healthy people to catch it and their immune systems to defeat it with the development of antibodies effectively slowing and stopping the spread. Shelter in place and social distancing prevent the development of herd immunity. The Fauci-Burks prescription was rushed and may not be the best thing going forward. The point is not to blame. The point is to correct now. And COVID shocking numbers and virus truth, New York City's numbers are massively and negatively distorting the situation in America as a whole. Focus on New York City's problems, but don't assume them as the paradigm elsewhere. Leading Israel scientists has documented the infection curve for coronavirus follows the same trajectory in every country with or without lockdowns. Stanford Santa Clara study, significant presence of antibodies says coronavirus has been around since the fall of 2009, which means infections are much higher and therefore mortality much lower. Texas, we're getting these numbers again, I think tomorrow with um, Alan West, but 29 million people, fewer than 500 coronavirus deaths. Dallas County, 26.3 million people and fewer than 75 coronavirus deaths. Common sense questions, why are we still shutting down? And the Dem is politicking over COVID. Texas Representative Crenshaw debunks the relentless leftist politicization of everything by Pelosi, the Democrats, and the mainstream media propaganda arm is unconscionable and suggests they don't believe the seriousness of the pandemic. Example, if America is truly in a dire disease pandemic, why is Nancy Pelosi padding spending with donations to the Kennedy Center? Why is she pushing blue state bailouts? Why isn't there a bipartisan laser focus on health and economic well-being? Ex-Navy SEAL and now Congressman Dan Crenshaw of Texas, a model of calm and grace. Watch his five-minute video clip retweeted by President Trump, a complete takedown of partisan COVID histrionics. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can you hear us now?